I would never take two dogs to a hotel if I wasn't like traveling across country and my husband made me take the dogs. Like he was like, I don't want them moping here. Yeah, that's a bit last minute. Hey, he's like, they're not going to interrupt my game playing time, Gigi. Right. And because we had painters coming in and out, he's like, they're going to be barking at the painters all day, but uh, I will never do that again. It was like two and a half days of driving. Utah is a long state and it's nothing like from St. George until you get to Colorado. It's just like such boring, boring, boring. The first day, Molly just puked on my lap. Oh, no. It was disgusting. She didn't like the drive. Uh, There's nothing good about that. No, but I had so much crap. It was just tedious. When people die, they leave shit. Oh, they do. Okay, and when I die, I plan on, like, cleaning all my stuff out ahead of time if I can. Right. So, like, when my mom died, we got so much crap that we had to get rid of. And then when my brother died, it was the same thing. So then I ended up with a lot of it. And that was why I had to do this trip. I had to just drop all this crap off at my sister's house. Please tell me what you were eating out of that bowl. Ah, it's a combination of coffee and fruit. I've got banana, mandarin, and apple. And you just pour coffee in it yeah like uh, this is kind of my version of cereal i mean sometimes i put some tahini and some oats in it and sometimes i don't i didn't today that is hilarious like it doesn't look good <laughs> uh, most people would say it doesn't taste good it doesn't look i don't know but i mean very classy just you know putting it right up to the face like that i, really I just don't have the it. patience for anything else oh who is this <gasps> brother Ben? I'm so glad you decided to join us. Gigi was oh, asking when fun. you'd be on next. Yeah, because I forgot to follow up on a question the last time we talked when I'd asked, like, what was the weirdest food, you know, that you'd eaten? And you just said something about, like, weird sausages or something. And I didn't quite follow up because I was so wrapped up with bread meal. That felt like you were finding, like, your true home when you heard about bread meal. Mm-hmm. That's what I had for dinner tonight. And, like, every day for the last week was just nothing but bread meal. Uh, Gigi, you need to diversify, okay? There's lots of different kinds of bread. There's tons of jellies. There's lots of cheeses. Throw some deli meat on there. Don't talk about Jesus like that, okay? It's got to be like a fancy charcuterie board, except more jam. They didn't serve it that way, but they totally <laughs> could have. Well, Patience is here eating a concoction of fruits in just a soup of coffee. I do this every morning, really. Like sangria, <laughs> but with coffee? I don't know what sangria is. I know the name. It's like wine. With fruit. It's from South America, isn't it? I don't know if it's Spain or South America or both, but yeah. But like coffee with fruit is like... Like a very perverse form of sangria, but it'll get you awake, I bet. Oh, yes. The caffeine. Honestly, if that's the weirdest kink you have, then I'm not even really that impressed. All that, that is the weirdest kink I have. <laughs> I lived a life since I got back from Holland, so, you know. I am very boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I believe that, you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe it either. I don't think she's boring at all. It's hard to tell, but it looks like she's got some pretty fiery red hair, so I'm not boring. <laughs> I'm so upset by the Roe versus Wade situation here. Ah, oh, I know. Oh, yeah, for sure. We are facing such a dire situation because of all the unenumerated rights that are wrapped up in the Roe versus Wade decision. I am just gobsmacked and waiting for what's going to be next. 
next? Like, are they going to start going back on contraception? Are they going to start going back on allowing interracial marriage in America? What is happening here? It is so crazy. I was reading about that. There was some guy who had drafted the law that they did in Texas where they like deputized everybody to stop abortion. He wrote a brief to the Supreme Court basically saying like the Loving versus Virginia, which is the interracial marriage one, you probably can just save that under the 14th Amendment as you can't discriminate based on race. But the rest of them are fair game and he thinks they should be repealed. Gay marriage. Contraception. All of those things are based on this right to privacy that they say is inherent in the Constitution but not specifically spelled out. Yeah. How does privacy have anything to do with getting rid of your unborn spawn. The idea was that there are certain things that should just not be the government's business. Like most things. Contraception was the first one. Right before Roe versus Wade, it was, well, the government shouldn't be telling married people whether or not they can have contraception. And it was very specifically married people. Yes. But from that case, then Roe versus Wade came out and eventually they were like, well, people have the right to privacy. We don't want stormtroopers of the government running in to see what you're doing in your bedroom. No. And we also don't necessarily want government telling you and your doctor what you guys should be doing. Uh-huh. Like, So those are your rights to privacy. But now America is just kind of maybe going in a different direction for a while. <sighs> so you can thank the religious rights. You know what's funny too? The party that bangs on most about all of this stuff, which is an invasion of liberty, also bangs on about how they want smaller governments. So how does that make sense? Yeah, just not when it comes to your bedroom. Or women's bodies in general. That's right. We love some big government when it's directed at women's bodies. And religion is such a great way to use that to base your power control on some kind of other authority besides yourself. It's like, well, I've got a God that tells me me, I can tell you what to do. <laughs> I think ever since women started entering the workforce in huge numbers, men have been smarting about the fact that they just have lost their control. they got to get it back somehow because they're just not getting as much pussy as they used to. Ah, it must suck for them. <laughs> or blow. Or, 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 or not suck. <laughs> I don't think that's personally true for me. Although no, of course not. I'm not getting any of it at work. <laughs> Just to be really clear about that. There's nothing happening below the desk, patients. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing happening below the desk. But I would say it's just as equally the women. Yeah, what's that about? The women are into it too. They're like, oh, we want our fallopian tubes in your hands. <laughs> no, I've got family that is very pro-forced birth on people. And it's very difficult for me not to just think that they're evil. <laughs> Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, it's very difficult not to be frustrated. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm frustrated it's, too, for real. It really is right now. It seems like it, it's, yeah, all of America is going a little crazy. All of the world is going crazy. I'm waiting for the nukes to start coming out of, you know, Russia. That will solve the abortion problem, though. <laughs> It'll everybody regardless of their age. I think the next thing will be aliens will show up and they'll use that to distract us from whatever's happening. We could use a good alien invasion. That's a unifying force. That's right. They'll use that to unify us and I'll be just like, oh, ho-hum, aliens. Okay, so they exist. I don't care. 
<laughs> I just got back from a Cinco de Mayo party. Oh, wow. It's one of those holidays that's much bigger in America than it is in the country it allegedly celebrates, which is Mexico. <laughs> but I was hanging out with some friends, which is always fun. Now, Cinco de Mayo, what is that? Because we don't celebrate it here. Cinco de Mayo? What does it celebrate? I don't know. It's Taco Tuesday, but you can celebrate <laughs> it. <laughs> so racially insensitive because white Americans who don't know anything like me would think it's some like national holiday for Mexican independence, which I don't think is true at all. In America, it just sounds like a cool day to go drink beer and everybody's like, oh, Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May. It's like St. Patrick's Day. Right. So it's not quite like the same as Australia Day. It's something else. Yeah. The Google says it's an annual celebration on May 5th, commemorates the Mexican army's victory over the French Empire at the Battle of Puebla okay. on May 5th, 1862. We've all appropriated it in America. We just used it as a day to eat tacos and drink beer. It's tequila and taco day in America. You know, commercial vehicles must carry snow chains until May 31st. And I was like, it can snow up until May 31st in this country? Oh, yeah. They can't control it, JJ. It's an act of God, okay? This is why California is so expensive to live, I guess, you know, because we don't get that kind of weather past, like, you know, certain points. It's your godlessness. You don't heed God, and therefore God just makes it expensive for you. Very, very expensive. That's why you have no precipitation. We're in another <laughs> drought already, so it's perfect. God does rain down his blessing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Benjamin, were you taught that God doesn't give us rain if we don't pay tithing and things like this? I don't remember that being like quid pro quo. I remember seeing videos specifically like on church dogma about like this one time. At band camp? Yeah, one time at band camp, there was no rain. And the prophet decided it was because people weren't paying their tithing. Of course. That sounds entirely on brand. I learned from Jones in the last last regular episode that there was a prophet once that said that eventually members from the church won't have to pay tithing because they'll have stored up enough. Aren't they at like billions of dollars right now? Don't you think they've got enough? Because it's turned into a prosperity doctrine now. Which is funny because, okay, I don't know if they covered this on this Saints that we're doing, but... This is a good Saints episode too. Oh my God, it's bonkers. I didn't remember this from when I was younger. Joseph Smith convinced Martin Harris that God told him that he had to pay for the publisher fees. And how Lucy Harris is fucking awesome, but the church plays her down like she's this crazy person. The woman everybody loves to hate, but I'm like, she's the brave one. What the fuck is that about? They start talking about her and they go. His wife, Lucy, um, mm-hmm. you know, she she is very skeptical. Like she's evil. I'm like, come on. She's the only woman that's trying to protect her husband from being robbed by Joseph uh-huh. Smith. Oh, I would have divorced my husband too if he did this. I bet she stole the papers and destroyed them when they lose that 120 pages or whatever it was. I hope she destroyed them. My understanding is that she took them and was like, look, if he's translating them, he can just go back to the originals. He should be able to produce them again. Uh-huh. I would have thought of that. But if you're just stream of consciousness out of a hat, that might be a little bit harder to pull off. Or a stream of consciousness out of your ass. Yeah, which is really smart of her. I mean, I think I would have asked to see the plates or I would have insisted. I wouldn't have like stolen them and told him to go double check his source. Kind of clever. She probably did ask and there was like, no, honey, you can't ask him that. Yeah. Well, that's it. Apparently, Martin Harris was asking to see all sorts of things over the time. He only got what he got. And then Smitty shut him up finally with the whole, 
oh, and this is the fulfillment of prophecy sealed away in some book somewhere in Isaiah, whatever the fuck it was. I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ, that's so bonkers. You still haven't asked me about sausage, by the way, Juju. Oh, I was going to say something. What kind of weird sausage sausage did you end up eating when you were, you know, on your mission? Have you ever eaten sausage, Brother Ben? When I was a kid, the only sausage I ate was a hot dog, which isn't a real sausage. And so like the kind of chunky... Chunky! European sausages where there's like identifiable bits of fat and different stuff in the middle. I was just like, what the hell is this? And a very common meal, it was tasty enough. They would just fry whatever they were frying. Usually it was sausage. And then they would take the drippings, throw some butter in, and that's what you put on your potatoes. Ooh. And it was quite tasty. Well, fat does taste good, doesn't it? That's like greasy fat butter potatoes. Like, I can dig it. All right, let's go. So this first bit, they seem to have trouble working out if Joseph used a seer stone to translate or if he used his new Urim and Thummim glasses to translate. It's like, didn't he just put them on and see it? It's like, hang on, no, he didn't put them on. He was seeing it in a stone. But hang on, no, he was seeing it in a hat. But hang on, there were plates. None of it makes sense. They really don't seem to be sure about what's going on. And yet every time they talk about it, they're very sure that whatever way they're talking about it, that's how it is. And he's got the interpreters, the Urim and Thummim, and he wants to be able to spend as much time as he can with the plates and with the interpreters. He wants to begin translation. He has no idea how to translate. He's got these cool new devices, but he just, he can't do anything. No, uh, he, he can't do anything. He's just trying to figure it out. To make matters worse is he is not able to show them to anyone. He's got to keep them hidden all the time. Not just because they're sacred, but also because there are a lot of people in town who want to get them. So he's being hounded. But he had never used seer stones to read an ancient language. Neither has he anyone. He was anxious to begin the work, but it was not obvious to him how to do it. What does that mean? It wasn't obvious to him. I mean, we've seen the pictures, right? He's just supposed to put them on and read. That's not how it works. We've seen the pictures, right? He just put them on and then he reads. Well, if I remember the pictures, it was completely different. There were plates there in the pictures, but we now know that's not how he did it. What were the plates even there for? Like, God should have said, I'm just going to piss down this information from heaven, so open up your mouth while I drop my drawers. I remember in seminary when the decision was made to admit that, you know, he wasn't even looking at the plates most of the time. (laughs) For us, it was just one story, and it was that he used these things to basically make these glasses, and then he translated directly from the plates, as opposed to looking at rocks in a hat. Yeah, that's how I remember hearing it, too. And the rock in the hat came later. Like, way later. But in my mind, I still didn't understand how these magical glasses were. (laughs) It made just as much sense as Santa Claus. Yeah. (laughs) The Urim and Thummim were... Patience knows because we listen to the same Bible podcast. <laughs> Probably actually used for like fortune telling, like casting lots. Yeah, that's right. As opposed to like glasses. But he pulled those words out and said that they're connected with like the ancient Levite priesthood. I actually did a write up in the notes for the Urim and Thummim on the last episode. I looked it up in the Old Testament when it was used. Yeah. And it seems like it was a lot like flicking a coin. It really only had binary answers. So if you're trying to decide between two choices, is it this or is it this? The priest can then come in and go, it's this. That's right. Like the magic eight ball. Yes, but no ask again later. It was just either. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was decidedly so or uh, outlook That's looks right. cloudy. <laughs> uh, have you both seen my Moroni's Ouija board video that I did up yes. in Yes. 
<laughs> I want to turn that into an app or something. <laughs> anyway. It's not surprising to me that they would be confused because they grew up hearing the same wide variety of bullshit that Gigi and I did. And it doesn't make sense. I mean... So you guys can't tell me whether it's glasses or a stone or what it is. Well, no one can tell you what it is other than to tell you it was miraculous. Oh, it's so miraculous. Ah, oh. We're talking about an artifact that is referenced in the Bible that doesn't exist anymore that was a magical artifact. This is like me trying to say, let's talk about the magic wands and Harry Potter and about how real they are. Oh, so real. Or how I use King Arthur's sword. And yet these people on the podcast think that this is logical, normal talk. <laughs> I wish they could just take themselves out of this little world that they're living in where magic wands exist. Yeah, go and play with your magic wand for all the good it's of the day. That'd be more fun. Mormons aren't allowed to play with their magic wand either, so. Shit! They can't even take my advice. <laughs> it's funny today. They're not even allowed <laughs> to read anatomy books at BYU. I know, even I saw Even in that their TikTok. freshman year that show an anatomically correct human. Isn't that bonkers? I'm sorry. If you were a doctor that went to BYU, I would prefer not to have you touch any of my lady bits at all, if that's how you were trained. <laughs> Did you hear a follow-up to that, though? I think she got an answer from BYU, and I think they've changed the slides. Really? Well, there was some answer. I don't know whether they've changed it That's a real story? Well, it's a real TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> It was a girl at BYU, Idaho. She showed her anatomy books and they had round blobs like on the covering the woman's breast and lady bits and same for the man and just like a round circle. And these are people that are going to get married soon. Like one of those really old seafaring maps where there's like an area of the map that just like, here be dragons. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's right. <laughs> and it's like, good luck doing any kind of surgery, repair on anything. I've never seen one of these before. It was always just a blank circle. What the hell do I do now? Babies come out of this? If you cover it up, I'll know what to do. Oh, now hand me God. my scalpel and blindfold it's, me. It's a childlike naivete that's almost ridiculous in its absurdity. Get out the Urimim and Thummimim if you need to like look at anybody's private parts. during. That's right. It's called Urimim and Thummimim, isn't it? <laughs> it's okay. Right. I wonder if like he could use them to look into his hat and see private parts. Yes, it goes as far as your imagination. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> that's Mormon porn. You stick your head in there and you imagine all sorts of wonderful things. See? So the next bit I want to talk about is a bang on about how because Emma was Joseph's wife, she knew him really, really well. So when she says something about him, it was an accurate judge of character. And when she was surprised that the words of the book were coming out of his mouth, that was genuine surprise. But what I want to argue is she didn't know her husband very well. They'd only just gotten married. He was like 20. I mean, how well could she know him? They haven't had their first divorce yet. And he hasn't started bringing in more wives yet. Ah, I mean... Do you really know someone until you've slept with their next wife? <laughs> and eventually, didn't she like kind of abandon him? Did she? They had their problems. Oh, I'm sure. But after he died, she basically denied that he was ever a polygamist and went off with her kids, started their own sect outside of Brigham Young's orbit. Yeah, she didn't exactly stay with the church, not the Brigham Young version. No, she got the hell out. Some would say she was the real church. <laughs> I'm more impressed with the skeptical women in this story. Ah, uh, Lucy Harris rocks my world. Yeah. I'm yeah. so wet for Lucy Harris. All right, I'm going to play this clip. 
Emma marveled that her husband's lack of knowledge in history and scripture did not hinder the translation. Joseph could hardly write a coherent letter. Yet hour after hour she sat close beside him while he dictated the record without the aid of any book or manuscript. She knew only God could inspire him to translate as he did. So, Angela, you probably know your husband pretty well. Yes, I do. You know your husband better than anyone else does. And she knows his gifts, but she also knows his limitations. So I am sure that it was miraculous for her to see. Emma marveled that her husband was so amazing. That he could come up with all of this bullshit so quickly. He never comes to pass when he's hanging out with me. Yeah, he never uses all of these long words. And I never come either. Well, that would have just been unnatural. (laughs) Oh, my. Everyone knows the female orgasm was an invention of the devil. That's right. It doesn't exist. Oh, no, it exists, but, you know. They just haven't figured out what it's for yet. That's true. (laughs) Why would a good God do this? I kind of just feel bad for anybody that was having sex in pioneer times. The dental practices, I don't know if they were like exactly up to my standards, but then the hygiene as well, overall, you know, Joseph Smith is out running around with a whole bunch of people. Other than just having nothing else to do besides chores, because TV didn't exist. If sex is your only entertainment, I guess this is what was motivating so much for Joseph Smith. I can understand that. (laughs) But at the same time, I don't know how quality it was because of the hygiene issues. (laughs) It's all just what you're used to, Gigi. I suppose. Sex is messy. Especially in like pioneer times and riding around in the back of covered wagons. Like, come on. Mm. This is not conducive to romance. No. (laughs) Maybe it's like doing it on top of your washing machine when it's in the spin cycle. I guess it's exciting to get out of the house. It's like being (laughs) in an RV trip or something. I don't know. The first time Tabitha King watched her husband, Stephen King, write a book, I'm sure she thought it was God himself dictating a book into Stephen King. That's before she realized that Stephen King thought he was God. (laughs) He might have been in the bed. Who knows? Who is that one young writer? He wrote a book about dragons, right? And everybody was like, oh my God, how can a 14-year-old boy do this? You know, it's a decent book for a 14-year-old boy. That doesn't necessarily mean it's God talking to him. It's like, oh, he's literate. Yay. In seminary, this was like a big point of emphasis that basically Joseph Smith was too stupid to do this on his own. They didn't use that word, but... That's such a bad... I don't want to say defense, but it's like saying you're too stupid to commit a crime. (laughs) We all know dumb people commit crimes all the time. My client is too dumb to have intentionally done that. (laughs) My client is too stupid without divine intervention. Your Honor, look at him. I mean, come on. (laughs) It's a risky argument, but I guess it works for some. I don't even know if that's actually based on facts because he must have had enough education to read and write. Yeah, I don't think that argument has any good points to it. And he doesn't really have the money to kind of just sit back and and work on this translation. He's known Martin Harris for a while. They're neighbors. Martin is a very wealthy man. Uh, He's a successful farmer. He's the same age as Joseph's parents. Martin becomes interested in the plates through talking with Lucy Mack Smith, Joseph's mother. And uh, but he's very skeptical about the story. You got over it quickly. Yeah, I would be so skeptical that I would not believe any of it. Everything I've ever heard of him and what we're going to hear later just shows he's not very skeptical, but his wife 
skeptic number one. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, good for her for divorcing her husband over this. Cause that's what I heard happened. Oh, she did. Did she? Cause she, she was getting all the money taken away. So Lucy Harris is pretty rad, right? But they make her sound crazy. It's really disturbing the way they rob her of her validity as a real witness to these crazy things that were happening. And they just believe everyone else. Wouldn't real historians take everything into account? Um, and I also just want to mention that part of the reason he's looking for outside proof is his wife, Lucy, um, mm-hmm. you know, she she is very skeptical. And and her even more so than he is. Yes, uh, she's more extremely so than he is. Um, and so I think that's also <laughs> a pressure point for him that he wants to be able to say to his wife, OK, look, I'm, I'm really not crazy. This really is real. Um, which kind of leads to other conflicts down the road. But mm-hmm. that's an interesting part of the story to me. As yeah, well. la- later in the story, Lucy even takes Martin to court, right? And, you know, basically says you're being defrauded. And, and Martin Martin says, no, I'm not. <gasps> I hate that live voice he puts on there. We used to refer to Lucy as the, the woman everyone loves to hate because yes. she really is a skeptic. I mean, she's tearing up the Smith's home. Yes. Uh, going through drawers and under beds. and you That's know, right. You find uh, those plates, girl. She, she wants to see. She's been married for a long, long time. Oh, she sure has. probably knows aspects of her husband's personality that makes her want to be able to say, hey, listen, listen to me. I want to have some say in this. At the same time, going through other people's cupboards is a little exactly. weird. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that was, yes. She has a strong personality. Well, oh, a strong, strong the personality. The book doesn't talk about this too much, but Lucy has a hearing disability, yeah. which I don't know exactly, but I've always felt that that had to play into it. You know, she, she just can't hear what's going on, and, and, and maybe she gets just a little bit paranoid. Uh, she knows what's going I'm on. I'm Wikipediaing this. Apparently, Lucy and her husband lost the farm that they had because her husband was publishing this freaking book. I would be pissed too. People are not listening to you, and she ends up dying at a young age of 44. I mean, it's so sad. She was probably happy just to get out of it all, manacled to this guy who mortgaged the farm. He's magical thinking, fucked everything up. He's not listening to me. I tried to get rid of his silly story. It didn't work. Fuck this i'm out she's kind of like the hero who's trying to save everybody from this ridiculous con artist i know right i kind of feel bad for her because now she's getting gaslit by the mormons <laughs> gaslit from the grave when i was in seminary the way that this story was told to me lucy gets a copy of the transcript that martin has worked on and of course it totally makes sense that she would be like he's not going to be able to produce this again because he's not really working out of a book <laughs> the story that i heard from my seminary teacher was that her plan was she was going to alter the text so that when Joseph went back and produced an identical translation again, she would use her altered text to expose him as a liar. Uh, That wasn't her plan. Like that she was super conniving. And the point that my teacher was trying to like, it's like she knew that he was a prophet, but she was so evil that she was going to make everybody think that he was. What better way to not believe a woman than to have everybody think she's crazy? Yeah. You know, that she can't listen to reason. It didn't make sense to me that either. No. 
And every time I hear anything given out by the Mormons, all I can always think of is Occam's razor, you know, when it comes to two explanations, which is the more likely. Uh-huh. What is the most likely thing that happened here? Mormon apologists, they're so surprised by the skepticism. Like, how can you deny? In part, to, uh, to placate Lucy, but also for himself, Martin decides to take these characters and to visit some scholars. As if characters on their own mean anything anyway. Martin showed him more characters, and Anton examined them. He said they contained characters from many ancient languages and gave Martin a certificate verifying their authenticity. Authenticity of what? He also recommended that he show the characters to another scholar named Samuel Mitchell, who used to teach at Columbia. That's just fluffy. He is story. very learned in these ancient languages, Anton said, and I have no doubt he will be able to give you some satisfaction. Uh, he wants some satisfaction. Uh, and as Martin's leaving, he asks, uh, Professor Anthon asks him, uh, you know, where did, where did you come across these characters? Yeah, where, where did, the, yeah, where did, where did you these get come that? from? And when he hears the story of Joseph Smith, when he hears the story of the angel, he becomes much more reluctant to, to authenticate anything. So he actually takes the certificate and tears it up. About Professor Anthon, what did he have to say about this at the time or later? Do we, do we know anything? He would share in some ways the same story, but no he, he made a point <laughs> always. Completely that, different. Uh, he never authenticated the characters. He said uh, in, in his letters, he, he writes that he, he looked at them and immediately knew that they were a fraud uh, and tried to do all he could to persuade Martin Harris not to you know sell the farm and help Joseph out. And so he, he told that story throughout his life. It directly contradicted Martin Harris's account of the story. It's, it contradicts how, you know, what we believe. Martin returns, he mortgages the farm, agrees to finance the publishing of the Book of Mormon. Martin Harris, he's getting so taken advantage of. I know. He goes and see this guy, doesn't verify up. That's it. I'm mortgaging the farm. Poor Lucy. All of whatever language Joseph Smith has made up here for this new reformed Egyptian, like, of course, nobody could authenticate it. No. I don't remember ever hearing that story, though. But how do you authenticate characters? I remember hearing that story. Did you? What did they tell you? Honestly, this was probably more honest than what I got in seminary in the sense that they didn't talk about how this expert had maintained for his whole life that (laughs) he never authenticated. (laughs) But really, and that the only counter was the word of a, a demonstrably gullible man who had every reason to want to yes. believe that he had something real. Anybody who sort of interfered was always portrayed as evil. Like there was never, I don't think, an effort to give them human motives. Right. It was just they were bad people. Or couldn't understand because they were deaf or some other problem. Yes. Just some woman everybody loves to hate because she's such a skeptic that she can't see God when it's in front of her. (laughs) Joseph met Martin because of his mother, Lucy Mack, who, as we know from an earlier episode, is a cold, hard bitch. But more than that, I think she's in on the racket. It seems like the whole family really know what's up. Conniving little fuckers. That's my personal opinion. I can't verify it, but it's like, Joseph, Joseph, I know this man, Martin. I've been telling him about the plates. When Weren't they supposed to keep quiet about the plates? But you should see the guy's farm. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I met this guy. He has a lot of money. Maybe not the brightest bulb. Right. We should tell him a story. Uh-huh. Grifters know how to find grifties. I think his first run of the Book of Mormon with the publisher was like 3,000 books or something. And he got Martin Harris to pay for them all. That's a lot of books for... Yeah. He's like, God is telling you that you must do it. 
oh, I feel bad for the guy. He bankrolled the horse shit that we read every week and it really is just so terrible. I wonder if Martin Harris ever actually read it. Do you reckon he did? He wrote a lot of it down, so. Oh, that's true. Well, Martin wants to take the manuscript to show to people. He says to Joseph, can I take this? And it's his only copy. And as a writer, there's a part of me that it just... I just think handing over that manuscript. 116 pages 116 is a pages lot. 116 pages is a lot. It's um, a lot. And to hand that over um, would be very difficult. And especially when Joseph petitions the Lord and the Lord says no. And then Joseph petitions the Lord again and the Lord says no again. He, he pushes the Lord and finally gets a reluctant yes. Oh, three times! When does Smitty get to push God around? I know, right? That doesn't even make sense. Martin just breaks down and, and, and says, basically, I've, I've lost these pages. Yeah, so he comes back and he says, oh, I lost the pages. I don't even know what he was doing. He wanted to show the pages to someone, right? It's like, oh, look what I've been doing. I've been playing with Joseph in the shed and I wrote this horse shit down. Isn't it good? Mummy, come and have a look at what I wrote. It's such a good pretty picture and it's almost a good story. It's been a long time, but I don't remember it being lost so much as Lucy Harris got a hold of it. I don't know what happened to it after that. Maybe it does get lost after that. <laughs> like I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and there's a lot of theories, but they got lost. I bet the most reasonable thing is that Lucy got a hold of that. If my husband is forking over all of the farm for this bullshit, <laughs> I would take yes. it and put it in the goddamn fire. Uh-huh. Yes. But I don't know that there's any evidence as to which way it happened or how it got disposed of. But Jesus, come on. You know that she got rid of them. I think Lucy took them and kept them with the hope of exposing Joseph as a fraud. And then he very cleverly came up with oh, well, there's this other book. It's a lot of the same stuff. I'll just do that one instead. So he could tell the same story, but it didn't have to be exactly the same because he was a clever little shit. But it's really not that clever. It's pretty transparent. Why were people fooled by this? There are times when his authority gets challenged and he has revelations right in front of people. You know, on one hand, that seems like bonkers and how would you believe that? But on the other hand, if you're trying to convince people and you can put on a good show right in front of them, that's probably the best solution. Like. It's risky, but you do it right. Like the fact that he's so bold and so transparent about it is like what makes it easy for certain people to believe because they're like, no one could do this shit on purpose to fool me. It's too stupid. So it's got to be real. Yeah. Like who is that evil to do that? Yeah. But I mean, we see these charismatic leaders all the time. I mean, that's what David Koresh did. And that's what the Heaven's Gate cult was. And to a lesser extent, televangelists and big arena preachers. Yes. Not to a lesser extent, they are massively popular here in America where they are riding around on their jets all the time. Very successful. Ah. Uh. Yeah. It's one of those things like the people who are going to believe it are the people who are attracted to that in the first place. So you just go really extreme and you're going to lose a lot of people, but the people that you get are going to really vibe with what you're doing. Right. The diehards. So he already had a captive audience of magical thinkers. That's very clever in some ways. And it's just weird because enough time goes by after Joseph Smith is martyred that this church continues to thrive because of so many other factors that are not just because of the Book of Mormon. All the people that are suddenly, you know, finding themselves 
themselves taking over land together as a community, yeah, you're going to build a interesting society that can now start a feedback loop. You know, you've got these isolated Mormons living in Utah that are all clinging together, creating their new rituals and laws. It's like Lord of the Flies, but with really ugly underwear. It's a really bad genetic experiment, isn't it? He got all of these people, isolated them, and then said, braid. Right. Get the magical thinkers together and then braid them. As a direct product of that on both sides, I have to object. I don't think it was bad genes. I think it was bad memes. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was both. His mother tried to comfort him. She said maybe the Lord would forgive him if he repented humbly. But Joseph was sobbing now, furious at himself for not obeying the Lord the first time. He could barely eat for the rest of the day. (laughs) So distraught, he didn't eat his breakfast. As Lucy watched him go, her heart was heavy. It seemed everything they had hoped for as a family, everything that had brought them joy over the last few years, had fled in a moment. This Smith family worked together to make it possible for Joseph to get these plates, so they saw it as the work of the family. When he lost the pages, everyone felt it. It's like your computer crashing and you have to go to school the next day with your report. And you're like, but I can't. My printer's not working. It, I lost everything. But come on, is this whole family in on this con? They were all in together. Working on for what, years? Like, seriously? Yeah, they're a little group of conniving little fuckers. That's what they are. What do you think, Ben? Do you think they're all in on it together? Do you think they're all fucking slimy? I think they were poor and I think they found a hook and they were like, let's ride this for a while. Ah. We knew that the dad was not the straightest shooter in the world. Except until his wife. (laughs) See, I can understand maybe somebody... put a weird thing in my head. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no. Did you want to expound on that weird thing? No, I definitely don't. I definitely don't. Like the degree to which Joseph or his family believe their own stuff. There's no way to know. I think it's pretty interesting, though. I think that there's like a space between, yeah, I know I didn't really find some plates, but yeah, I really feel justified in what I did for whatever reason. I think there was like some of that going on. Right. Do you think Lucy Mack believed that there were plates that he found? I have no basis for that. Oh, see, I would think his mom just might be gullible enough to believe whatever he said. Yeah, it could be. I don't think his mom's gullible. I think she's a bit crafty. I'd love to see a movie where it was like Lucy Mack versus Lucy Harris and like these two great matriarchs in this intrigue over this horse shit happening. sat in a Mormon church and listened to a lecture that profoundly touched me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, that's not to say I haven't been profoundly touched in the church. I had been profoundly touched in a church. Uh, have you? I told you those dances were crazy. But the uh, thing is, oh. but it's never been by it's never been by anything anybody said. Like, so you want to book a Mormon distance apart? No. 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 Oh. I was too much of a I was, I think I was just too slutty to be in the church for very long. That's awesome. How many bases did you get to in the church? I'm not even going to say, like, many. Many. I love it. This might be too obscure a joke for the room, but she hit for the cycle. Did you get a single, a double, a triple, and a home run all in the same game? I mean, I I don't think I ever got that far in the church. (laughs) She was covering all her bases. I wish I was slutty. That would have been cool. Oh, God. I guess this is my new normal.